on this episode of AV Week, how to get more women involved in the AV industry, personal and immersive AV experiences, and the acquisition of Hall Technologies. All that and more, next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 557, recorded Friday, April 22nd, 2022. Personal AV. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Extron, industry-leading technology backed by world-class support. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audio-visual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week, and we've got a couple doozies. Uh, first and foremost, uh, newly minted QSC employee, Charmaine Torella. Welcome, ma'am. Hello. Thank you. Absolutely. Yay. Congratulations there. Uh, also with us, the Senior Regional Sales Manager for Integrated Systems, for sure. Uh, she is, I was going to say in charge of me, but she covers uh, the area that I am in. Ms. Cassie Berger, from sure. Welcome, ma'am. Great to be here. Thanks. And just if you're listening to this uh, in the United States, there is a 95% chance that Cassie is also covering your area as well uh, here recently, too. Uh, and Canada. Um, the rest of the world, it's somebody else. But those two places, the darn near 48 out of 50 states. Uh, not really, but she, she covers a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and last but not least, uh, an old friend and a host of um, State of Control, Mr. Steve Greenblatt from Control Concepts. Welcome, sir. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Absolutely. I, I mentioned this uh, really quickly before we get to the stories. We do have a couple. Um, I, as I was putting together this show, I suddenly looked up and realized, holy cow, all three of you are intimately involved in leadership at Avixa. All of three of you are involved in diversity at Avixa, just I, a leadership search committee. I just think it's cool the fact that, that the three of you are, are already know each other and, and uh, heavily involved in the industry. So I just I thought that was kind of cool. Um, our first story uh, actually comes to us from Aviation's very own Taylor Moore. Taylor's sitting in the background, uh, so he can chime in if he'd like to. Taylor had the chance to visit City Field, which is where the Mets uh, attempt to play every year uh, ahead of the opening of baseball season. Uh, Mr. Moore writes about the partnership between Samsung and the stadium, calling it, quote, unquote, the most technologically advanced ballpark in the major league. There are five levels of, of, of LED uh, ribbon boards. There are 1,300 LCD screens throughout it and an all-digital experience. Mr. Greenblatt, when it comes to stuff like this, what does this experience nature of all digital, what does it do to sports? What does it do to live events as we're trying to get folks back in real life? There's two, two different ways we could look at this. You know, one for sports in general, I think that the, uh, the sports experience at home has grown quite a bit. So it's important to get people out and getting them to want to spend the ticket price to go to a game and be in person and go through what you have to go through to go to a game these days, the, the travel, the parking, the costs and so forth, <clears throat> excuse me. But, but it's, uh, you, you, they need, you need to make it more of an experience from the fact that 
you, you need to get something out of being there and feeling like you're in the game and experiencing um, the something more firsthand. And, and uh, so I think that that's very important. Uh, and when it comes to looking at the, this from a, uh, a maybe a return to work or a return to import person events, you know, the, kind of the same is true. Is the the we the there needs to be some value added to having that more of an enriched uh, experience from being being in person and and having. Uh, I think we're all used to being being able to have dialogue and to be able to interact with something, be able to to have the uh, the you know. The, the fact that we can access social media and have a an internet connection and that all of that needs to be packed into w something in person and some. All right. Charmaine, uh, Steve mentioned and said the word experience an awful lot of times uh, as, as someone who's hung out at, at Evixen quite a bit. Uh, they started talking about that a number of years ago. So how do we, how do we leverage AV? How do we leverage these technological advances to increase the in-person experience and to quite frankly make the cost of the ticket cost of admission worth it in today's age well precisely like metlife stadium is doing now i started in av in 2010 and i remember city field you know was implemented around that time and the technology that went into it at the time and it was great it was nice but for where City Field is in Queens, because I know you always associate me with Queens. It's I absolutely do. in Queens. I'm from the Bronx. But um, where it is in uh, the tri-state area, you're dealing with a lot of uh, audience that is into social media, into engagement. You're from Times Square. We see that every day. And it helps where it is located in Queens to drive a lot of people there. Right, because to jump from New York City or wherever you are to Queens, not always an easy track, especially from subway. But with this level of using the AV to create that immersive experience, making it easier is the biggest thing. The biggest thing is making it easier to, to people to attend that park, especially with the long lines, the subways right there, right leading to the stadium, the, the highway, everything, just making it faster and easier for them to get to the venue. And as they get into the venue, providing, you know, a lot more information that's digitally accessible that they can, you know, see and engage with. Um, I think the biggest way um, to use AV is to do those things, right? Through um, face recognition, which they're now implementing in City Field. That is awesome stuff. I mean, I don't know any really big venue place that does that. I, I'm not going to make Taylor come in here because, um, but I, I do want to, I'm going to use a question that he, that he posed. This is not my original question. This is 100% Taylor's. Um, when he was looking at it, he said, okay, that's great. What happens when you sell your ticket? Right. Or what happens if Cassie and I are both in St. Louis? What happens if if she's got tickets to the let's say that Cassie has has season tickets to, to Cardinals baseball? She doesn't. But what if she did? And she wanted to, to, to bless me and give me tickets to, to for my birthday. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't look like Cassie I don't, in any way, shape or form. Right. Uh, the hair's getting there, but the rest of it's not. Right. So how what how does that work? Or how that's I don't know if they got that far yet, but that's a good damn question. Um, don't know how it works, but I'll tell you how it also works um, for security purposes. Let's say, all right, somebody got a hold of Cassie's tickets. 
and okay. stole it or something, right? And then they try to get in and it's, oh, this is not Cassie. You know, and she reported, oh, my God. And they can it's it, it kind of adds a layer of security in a way. And okay. I think for tracking purposes to answer a little bit into Taylor's question. And I know this is not a complete answer by any means because I have to actually go there and see it in action. But um, for security purposes, for those people who do those purchases, people who make fraudulent tickets, uh, people who, you know, do those things to get a free show and free access. This is an extra layer of security that adds protection for City Field as well as you, the end user, you know, to prevent someone from doing that with your identity. So I think maybe that's what they had in mind. That's a guess, but it may not be the complete answer. But I would like that would comfort me as a customer. That's how I feel. All right, Cass, the same, same question is, is how do we besides the fact that we were you know picking on you and using you for an avatar there? Um, how do we increase this experience? You know, um, one of the things is, is it, as, as Aviation, we get a lot of, of press releases. Sure has made inroads and, and made uh, serious um, bones about the fact that they were part of the Super Bowl halftime show. You guys were part of the um, the part of the uh, Grammys. Those are in person experiences. But beside beyond that, how do a how does AV you know increase or, or um, augment this in-person experience to make it worthwhile? I think there's a, a few things to consider. And um, just to kind of talk about what you just mentioned about the ticket thing and um, how do you identify users and people coming to events, um, there's a thing as geofencing, right? So I think as people come to the stadium, that immediately kicks in. So geofencing is all around the stadium, all around the concert venue, wherever you are, you're being geofenced. Every time you pull up social media, it's telling you, hey, doesn't a bratwurst sound really good? You hate bratwurst, but it looks really good on your phone and it sounds really good. And I bet you can find one really close to where you're standing right now or a Bud Light, whatever it might be. Um, so whether or not you realize it, that is targeting you in some way, and it's using AV in a lot of capacities, but it's, it's using your device. Um, when it comes to live experiences, I think what we've learned from COVID, and this isn't, I'm not gonna use the baseball example here. Um, what I am gonna use is it's, what we've learned is the immersive experience, once again, is incredibly imp important. And um, I don't know if anybody has attended the Van Gogh, the live Van Gogh, exhibits, but that's a perfect example of how do you bring people into an environment where you can have this immersive experience and actually evoke feeling without feeling and touching anything. So as AV professionals, um, I am on the audio side and sure has done a wonderful job of staying relevant throughout this entire pandemic experience, as has everybody else. But I do want to focus on the video and I do want to focus on assisted listening and listening devices and how we have made and focused these live experiences, transitioned them into personal experiences. So they're live, but they're personal. And we're creating feeling based off of what you're seeing, what your personal experience is. And we didn't do that before. It was kind of like, we're going to give you the experience that we built for you. Now it's, we want to cater this to your personal level of experience. And how do we do that uh, through AV? So it's, it's interesting. Is that, is, does that get us into the conversation about AR and XR when it comes to those personal experiences? Or is it just simply the more immersive it can be 
we can all experience kind of the same, I, I don't know, the same environment different ways. I think both. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll agree. You know, it can do get in, getting us into AR and XR, but the most, so here's one thing just popped out from what something Cassie said, the immerse, you know, the immersive experience and, and how people feel about that. The thing with people working from home for the last two years is their employers are trying to get them back into the office, right? And there's they they don't know how. More money is not going to do it. They like working from home. But if we leverage this uh, immersive AV technology to create an environment that makes them want to run to an experiential place, um, they will probably look more forward to running back into the office. And I think that's something that corporations, I know one major corporation is really surveying with its 50,000 employees worldwide as to how can we make it more engaging this environment. I think the application that Cityfield um, started executing is a way that the corporate and clients can help seduce and solicit their employees to come back to site, right? If we don't want to go back to the same desk, we don't want to go back to the cubicles. We want to be in a, a place that's like, wow, and an engaging, you know, to give us a reason to want to leave home, right? And I think that's one way we can grow it and leverage that AV type of tech, immersive experiential technology. But to your point, wow, and engaging for you, for that individual person, and that's the struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, next story comes to us from Cindy Davis and AV Network, as well as Cindy also uh, is the editor for AV Technology. She had an exclusive interview with Hall Technology CEO Jason Schwartz, as well as Vice President Hal Truex. Hall has recently been acquired by Michigan-based Gun Lake Investments. Gun Lake is the non-gaming gaming development arm of the game Gun Lake Tribe. According to Schwartz, the acquisition gives Hall significant resources to pursue their long-term growth plan. Truax highlighted their quote-unquote aggressive product roadmap. If you look at, at Hall's technology releases the last 12 months, there have been significant focuses on healthcare control as well as gaming. Charmaine, we'll start with you on this. What markets are we looking at that are primed for another player like Hall Technologies with this new investment, with this new acquisition? the higher ed market to start, right? Because we know the higher ed market is doing a lot of the gaming studios and things of that nature. So that market would definitely be interested in that. Um, there are of the healthcare market, absolutely. I know that was mentioned uh, there. Would definitely look for that as well. Um, especially, you know, patient, uh, for patient care and the rooms and the beds and, and having certain things to give them um, access to things. Um, I think that would be two markets that would be interested in. And then the tech market, um, absolutely the techs, right? You know, you're thinking of, I'll give Take-Two Interactive, for example, right? They're, they they create all the games, they, you know, to create those environments, those uh rooms that Take-Two Interactive would do when they're trialing out games, when they're showcasing a new whatever, and certain clients like that. I think the techs, uh, maybe Facebook and those guys definitely would be interested in that. Hmm. Cassie, take a look at this from a uh, an ownership standpoint, and we're seeing more and more private equity in the AV industry. Sure is, is, is 
is privately held. We also have a number of folks that are publicly owned publicly, whether it's stock or, or what have you. Uh, and then we have private equity. What what do we think about more and more private equity involved in the AV market from a good point, bad point, pros and cons? Or is it just, you know what, it, it's money and somebody else is just owning it? I think it's really important. It's protection. There's a lot of protection um, in privately held organizations and a lot of control that they maintain. Um, so not only is there a security for an associate working for those organizations, a certain level of comfort, but there is also um, you, a standard almost of you know that the decisions being made on that level are going to be the best for that organization and for everybody who works there, um, whether it's from a product standpoint, from a acquisition standpoint, whatever it might be. Um, so I think privately held organizations, there's, and I'll say it again, there's just a, a level and sense of security period. Um, I will say, so I actually repped with my dad Hall Research at the time before they transitioned to Hall Technologies. And they were a very small but successful business. Uh, their bread and butter was OEMing for medical and healthcare um, and really doing that KVM, so keyboard, video, mouse, um, remote monitoring for healthcare institutions. And so kind of seeing where their growth is going to take them and, um, and seeing the potential they have in, and, and I know gaming, so it brings a different dynamic to it, but I also look at this new change or transition as something that's gonna put them into a very rapidly growing, not industry per se, but market of young users. Young users are strong, massively into gaming right now, right? And if we think of it from an AV standpoint, those are the future of our business and our organizations because those are the people that tend to come over to the AV side professionally. They're like, well, wait, I can do what I enjoy doing and I can make money doing it. Awesome, sign me up. This is an adult career that I can actually do and, and, and do what I enjoy. So I think it's very interesting and, um, I think it was smart, and I think that it goes back to smart decisions are made by people who are invested in their organization, which is a privately held organization. They're fully invested in what they do, what they own, and you see them care about these types of decisions, um, and I think that's the difference. All right. Steve Cassie made a couple of points there that I was actually going to bring up with you as well, plus the fact that, that Hall has gotten into control which is 100 percent you know your, your wheelhouse as well so take a look about where hall belongs hall technology belongs now in the av space now that they have gotten into a number of areas that they hadn't gotten into you know prior to this investment there's definitely opportunity for them to look at some markets where maybe the a integrated AV wasn't necessarily being used. That that's that's something that that I think can be an opportunity for them. And and with regard to the control, they're they're looking to provide some type of a package so that somebody can easily put together a system that will allow them to have an A to Z package. So they they can come to Hall and they could say, Hey, design me a solution, and and here it is, and and put and you can easily put it in. And their control is really set up to to work very easily with their products. So that's another big value that they can provide in that regard. 
Um, I, I think that there's uh, there, there's also opportunities to look at uh, so, some some of the systems that maybe don't have the same level of budget that can look at some of the higher end products and and there a lot of that gets overlooked i think in our industry there there and i think that there's a lot more av being put in but it may not necessarily be by the the bigger names not to say that hall won't become one of the bigger names but they but 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 why not capitalize on opportunity that's there for you. So I think that, 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 that that's another place that they could probably position themselves. And, uh, and I think control is just being coming a part of almost every solution these days, which is, which is a good thing. And, uh, but, but it's also something that, that, um, the, everyone needs to know what it takes to make it work and what it takes to make it work on a bigger scale. Absolutely. All right. Finally, uh, Amala Reddy, uh, who I had the chance to, to meet uh, from Commercial Integrator, she writes about getting more women into leadership roles. Uh, Amala interviews Aaron Mayer Moran, uh, Molly uh, Keone, and the incomparable Corey Schaefer. Uh, they all talk about the impact of imposter syndrome, syndrome, especially on women in AV, the need to foster opportunities in high school and colleges, as well as the importance of mentorship. Cassie uh, and Charmaine, I'm going to let you two lead this because not that Steve and I don't have uh, comments or, or, or perspectives, and, and I've got a question for Steve at the end. But Cassie, we'll start with you with a very simple question that that uh, Amala tried tried to start you know started with as well. How do we get more women leaders in the industry? It's a great question, um, and it's hard. Leadership is is built by experience and. It doesn't have to be experience within our industry um, for AV, but it has to be experience, period. So you have to find the people that um, and the, the ladies that have have been there, done that, met the right people, seen different areas of any industry and business in general. And then how do you bring them in to our industry specifically and um, and get them interested and a lot of that is passion. A lot of that is going to be um, how do you connect these individuals with people that inspire them. Uh, mentorship to me, it's not about being, the, we make this this huge error a lot of times where we say, congratulations, you have a mentor. Here is your mentor. It's like, well, I don't like my mentor. <laughs> like my mentor and I have nothing in common and I'm not inspired by them. I don't want to work with this person. They're the, sign me up for a different one. Um, so I think the biggest thing is how do you find somebody or when you meet somebody, how do you recognize that they inspire you and you inspire them and you create this relationship? Um, and it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen because you go to a women in AV luncheon and meet a bunch of people per se, but that might be a good starting place at the same time. All of a sudden you're talking to somebody and you say, oh, you're a single mom, you have kids, you're working, you travel, like we have a lot in common. Now we can build that as our foundation and you're going to teach me things and I'm going to teach you things and we're going to grow together. Um, and so I think the biggest thing is, is fostering the capability of putting people together, bringing people together. It could be virtual, it could be in person. Um, but how do you do that? And then how do you successfully implant in them the desire to grow individually, independently mm -hmm. of their organization, 
um, and in a way that makes them want to become leaders. They're learning about themselves. They're learning about others. And we need to separate that from the organizations which with they work because we make that error as well. We say, because you work X, Y, and Z, here's somebody that you should talk to. No, find somebody outside, maybe a different industry, maybe somewhere else. Find somebody different that you can talk to that inspires you. And, and then you realize a lot of things about yourself and you realize that, oh, maybe I could be a leader too. Charmaine, uh, Cassie mentioned uh, mentorship there. That was kind of where I was going to start with you. You and I are roughly of the same generation. Steve is as well. How, Thank you how, for aging me. Hey, Charmaine. How do we? I didn't say that. He I, said that he he said that we looked alike earlier. So I mean, I said we didn't. I said my hair is getting there. I do not look like you. Um, but but how do how do we get kind of you know into that mentorship mindset in that role where, you know, there are times and imposter syndrome can happen to anybody. There are times where I don't have anything to say, right? I don't, don't feel like I have anything to offer anybody. And, and other folks will say, well, no, I, I learned this from you or I've gotten this from you. How do we kind of kind of get beyond ourselves and offer ourselves out as a mentor? Yeah, I'm going to take it for uh, answer that with a different direction. Yep. And I know and it's going to be an odd direction, you know, being the former chair of the Diversity Council, um, here's why I'm going to take that direction. I think it's okay if you're a woman, if you are going to mentor, you don't have to be a woman to mentor a woman leader. Um, and I say because when I was chairing the Diversity Council, you know, and we were doing all these initiatives, a lot of people reached out to me, a lot of women. Now, here's the first thing. There's not a lot of women of color in AV to begin with. Put it out there, right? There are some women in AV. So you don't have a lot of options to start of where and who to go in order to get that mentorship. That's where we're starting from right now. So I had this one lady who was working with a consultant firm. And she was working with, I guess, a colleague that had very conservative beliefs where she had very liberal beliefs and their, you know, it got it, you know, their beliefs got reflected, you know, revealed to each other. And she's like, yeah, hey, I can't believe he believes that. And, da, 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 da. and we talk about this and he says this stuff and we talk about this and he says this stuff. And I said, well, you guys continuously talk. She's like, yeah. I said, he's talking to you. I said, so obviously, regardless of what you believe, he has an interest in talking to you. How about this? How about you put that aside and think about asking or working with this person to become your mentor because he has X amount of years experience. I know you don't believe his, uh, in his political beliefs, but he's still talking to you. He's not slapping you away. And that's what we have to do sometimes as mentors and people who are looking for the mentorship. It's not going to be in the obvious places. As I said, again, there's not a lot of, you know, a plethora of women leaders in this industry to choose from. You know, I have the fortune of, you know, now I'm in a company where Corey Schaefer is here. You know, this is awesome for me. But I didn't have that luxury before I came into QSC, right? I really didn't have a lot of options. So I did work with male mentors that were not like me and had very different beliefs and different lifestyles. And we found those common denominators that linked us 
um, to help me, you know, get information about this industry and learn how to navigate through this in a good way to make me successful. So I think as you're looking, you know, you don't have to look for like for like. Um, it's better not to look for like for like, to kind of pair yourself up with a different puzzle piece, because not every puzzle piece is the same, right? They're unique. But when they come together, they make one seamless picture. And that's the idea, I think, behind mentorship. Look for someone that doesn't have the same thoughts and see what other things they can offer you to help you navigate through this. And, and let me say something that, that I'm not, I don't know if it's controversial, but you, and this is for guys out there, you can have a woman as a mentor. It's okay. And in fact, based on what Charmaine just said, it's probably preferable. One of my dearest uh, mentors that I have, uh, I am incredibly blessed to, to, to have her in my life. She is a, an incredibly smart woman um, and she is successful and she teaches me something every time we, we get together. Um, so, you know, it, it's something that open yourself up to folks who don't look like you and see like you um, is, is an important thing for a mentor. Um, Mr. Greenblatt, you'll have the, not the last word on this, cause you know, this is still a conversation, but the one thing I have learned over the years is using the, uh, influence that, that we have and the positions that we have as non people of color and non female people. Um, how do we foster these opportunities? How do we, as, as men, um, help those around us? I love this topic, first off, and I'm, I'm always glad to, to contribute to it. And, and I'm, I'm proud that I have uh, a, a staff where a third of our team is women now. And, and it's something that I've, I've really, it was a goal of mine. Um, so that's maybe one way, you know, make, make opportunities on your team for that you are looking to bring women into, um, not just as not just because, but because they add a different value than you can get from a man, that that they bring a different perspective, that they think differently, that they they have different qualities that that men are are not as strong with, and some of those are are maybe obvious, and some of those may not be obvious. So so that's one thing. Um, you know, this is it's interesting that we have this conversation because I could tie it into. At the state of control that we recently had where we were uh, focusing on recognizing female programmers and and we're we're doing a, a part two of that and and that's it should just really need to be able to hear the stories that the that the women that we spoke with have um, been able to share because their journey has been different than some of the men in the industry but they also help, are looking, be, and, and we're going to discuss this when when we are going to do our part two about how men can and others can help them uh, in the future and also help other people go along on that path and make it not not necessarily easier but be more supportive. So um, what the question that you asked is not easy to to answer, but it, but what I can say from my experience is is that 
Um, we, we have to we, we have to extend a hand. We have to make make open up ourselves so that it's inviting for people to come and speak with us. We have to create opportunities, and we also have to put ourselves out there, saying that we want to help and that we want to engage and and have those types of relationships, and know that. Um, it, it, there, there are going to be people that may need us to go the extra mile and be able to, to, to come and pull them out a little bit because they're not necessarily always going to come to us. So, so I think it's being very, very proactive and also making it inviting and comfortable and, um, and, and also just making it known that this is something that's important. And who is our consumer? You know, it's not a group of the same type of person. Our consumer is everybody from an AV standpoint. And we can go back to the original article. You look at the crowds walking into a baseball stadium and it is a sea of multicolor people from every background in life, um, young, old, everything. You see a very vast difference between everybody, a ton of diversity. So if our businesses aren't built on diversity and built on that sea of multicolor individuals, we're not properly targeting our consumer. And we can't. And and that's going to lead into my last point. That's why AV has to tell on itself. Tim hears me say this all the time. AV has to tell on itself more. No one, the audience doesn't even understand who we are. Let's tell on ourselves a lot more to this audience. Oh, AV, so they know who we are, so you can attract mm-hmm. that, right? You yep. got to do it. Absolutely. All right, y'all. Thank you so much, uh, Charmaine Torella. How, how do people connect with you uh, and or QSC now, which is going to take me a minute to not get wrong? <laughs> well, you can connect with me on LinkedIn with my last name, Charmaine Torella. Just look me up as it's spelt. Um, on the screen, um, also on Twitter. But if you want to find me at QSC, it's charmaine.torella at qsc.com. All right, very good. Cassie Berger, Senior Regional Sales Manager for Integrated Systems, for sure. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, how do people connect with you or sure? Yes, so you can find me on LinkedIn as well, uh, Cassie Berger. And then I'm not cool enough for Twitter, so I'm not on Twitter. Uh, which always gets a gasp from everybody, but you can certainly email me at burgerc at sure.com and please check out our consumer page, sure.com. All right. Uh, Mr. Greenblatt, thank you, sir. How do people connect with you or Control Concepts? Uh, You can find me at Steve Greenblatt on social media and Control Concepts at controlconcepts.net. And then I have to, uh, as uh, said at the beginning, uh, push uh, out, that you can find a state of control on avnation.tv with uh, my partner, Rich Fergoza. And I also have one more that now I am excited to talk about that we passed a year of doing Ask the Programmer, which is another podcast that I do with James King. So, uh, and I'd love to see everybody at Infocom as well. How is that going to work now that he's in Vegas? Steve? We're going to figure it out. It's that internet thing. James James got a new new gig out in Vegas. He went from uh, from the East Coast over to uh, over to Sin City. So congratulations to him. But yeah, check out that one as well. Um, for me, for for Tim Albright, uh, don't follow me on the Twitters because uh, I am rooting on the Blues uh, and waiting for football to start. Uh, but as for Aviation, go by the website aviation.tv. That's aviation.tv. You will find this program and a state of control. Uh, and a host of others, including our coverage of, of Integrated Systems Europe, which will include 
the aforementioned Uncle Richie. Uh, that was uh, that came down the pipeline last last week, and I'm incredibly excited. Uh, number one, I haven't seen Uncle Richie in person in real life in about two years, so I cannot tell you how, how jazzed I am for that. And then uh, Infocom comes uh, comes your way the, uh, the, uh, the the 8th through the 10th of June, so that will be on the website as well. Uh, the two parties that we do um, each and every year, one, there, there, there's, a, there's a tweet up at ISC, there's a tweet up at Infocom. So the tweet up at, at, at ISC is the Poly tweet up. It is sponsored by our friends at Poly. It is on Tuesday, the 10th of May from 3 to 4.30. It is at Poly's booth, the one for Infocom, uh, sponsored by Steren. It is Wednesday, the 8th of June from 4 to 6 p.m. in W, meaning the West Hall, Brands Bank and New Hall, 228. Mitchell is going to be an incredible producer and put both of those links to both of those events on this show's page. So you can check all of that out and more at avnation.tv. That is avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. Thank you.